Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Silverbook Sports. I'm Eric Dean here of Mile High Sports, joined by Ryan Bolding of NHL.com to chat more avalanche hockey, uh, another avalanche trade, unfortunately not another avalanche victory, but a really entertaining game, but we'll kick things off with a quick introduction. How you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I could use a little uh, sleep after last night. It was quite the game. It took a while to come down from that. Yeah, tell me about it. First period was, uh, I mean, the Avalanche didn't have the best start, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but first period was a little bit of a snoozer. By halfway through the second period, I was wired. It was a completely different game. The JT Comfort goal that made it 5-4 to four was very Stanley Cup final level loudness. Like, that was a roar from the crowd. It was it was pretty spectacular. Yeah, it was incredible. The And the way that the crowd kind of got back into it, you know, like it was a beat down early. It looked like the game was over. And then, like you said, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but that the way the crowd roared back to life, it was playoff atmosphere. It was sort of playoff hockey style from the avalanche a little bit. And I turned to Megan Angley from DNVR who sits next to me in the press box towards the end of the game when I was writing my story and I was like, no more goals, Megan, please. Yeah. No more goals. <laughs> it was wild. It was, I think it was exactly five to four at the midway point and it ended seven to five. So, you know, each team added a goal plus an empty netter. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy, pretty spectacular. But we are here to, for starters, chat about the new trade acquisition that the Avalanche uh, have made and have already introduced into their lineup. The Colorado Avalanche at about, I want to say, somewhere around 11 to 11.30 a.m. It was both reported and then confirmed and announced by the team that the team traded for Lars Eller from the Washington Capitals for a second-round draft pick in 2025. Lars was with the Washington Capitals on a trip in California. They were in Anaheim. He said yesterday he was about to take the ice for morning skate because the Caps played the Ducks later that night, Wednesday night, and was told of the trade. He was obviously told before the road trip to pack a little extra just in case there's a deal uh, sometime during the uh, during the road trip, which there was. He quickly worked with the Avalanche to figure out logistics for a flight. He got his flight figured out. He flew into Denver. He got to the arena. The Avalanche take the ice, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 6.25 p.m. for pregame warm-up. And he said he got to the rink 15 minutes before the team took the ice. He took the ice for warm-up, wearing number 20, with the Avalanche, came off the ice, walked with Jared Bednar to the locker room to just get a quick, here's uh, really quickly what to do, what the systems are. Jared said he told him to trust his instincts, go out there and play his game. He played in the game. The Avalanche lost 7-5. He made his debut. After the game, you wouldn't think he was on a losing team because he was just so excited to chat with us, so excited to be on this team, and excited to be here for the long playoff run. I think I got his entire day uh, mapped out perfectly, but that's the Lars Eller day on March 1st. Yeah, I walked into the locker room post game and I was late because I write on deadline, so I got to put some final details in that can only be done after the buzzer. And the scrum around him was massive to the point where I was like, I'll come back when it <laughs> lightens up. And it didn't. It really. So I had to come back and just get whatever scraps I could from the perimeter there because he was just, you know, Mr. Popular. It'll be interesting to get a little more familiar with him, you know, during practices and things like that when things calm down a little bit and you can kind of find some you know, little details and threads. But like you said, what a day from him. You know, he he kind of said, 
I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, today, Thursday, uh, on his off day, just because it had been a whirlwind of a day for him. And he got into the rink, had to hurry into the lineup and, you know, he played second shift. I mean, 30 seconds in the game, he was making his avalanche debut. So really a quick turnaround for the guy. Yeah, it's pretty wild because his turnaround was so quick. It's not like they set him up in a hotel or he had an apartment or something ready for him where he was able to come drop off his belongings and play a game. Like he brought everything with him to the rink from his equipment to his personal belongings, everything. I guess they probably gave him like a little closet or something. I said, Hey, go here, change, like <laughs> get your shit together. Like he had to leave his luggage bag somewhere. Like the end of the night for him was wild. Woke up in Anaheim, traded, ended up in Denver, had a massive scrum, uh, around him to chat. And, you know, he was really, really, uh, really, really good with his time. And he was like very generous, very willing to talk. And it kind of reminded me of when the Avalanche traded for Matt Nieto, not in the similar sense where Nieto was traded same day, because that was a trade in the evening. He played the next day. But in the sense where the Avalanche lost that game when Nieto debuted, made his debut or re-debut, I should say. And we all went into the locker room to chat with Matt Nieto in a very, you know, how the Avalanche get, how any NHL team gets after they lose. Just a not a happy locker room, but a really happy go lucky Matt Nieto. Like, holy shit, I was on a bad team and now I'm playing for the Avalanche. And you got the same vibe from Lars Eller. I was on a team that's selling and now I'm here. Yeah, we lost. Yeah, this, yeah, that. But I could not be happier to be here. And you can you can kind of sense it from his from his demeanor, from the way he was answering his questions. He's excited. He's pumped. Yeah, very affable, you know, smiling. It was it was almost shocking in contrast to, like you said, the way the rest of the room was going. A lot of down faces in there. When I came in, there was Eller talking. There was Eustace Ananen. There was Georgiev, who obviously, I mean, you could go talk to him, but what's the point? Mm-hmm. And there was uh, Andrew Cogliano yep. and Val Nichushkin. And I only remember Nichushkin because I looked over at him and was like, it's not worth the the back and forth to try and get him to talk because I could get other guys in that amount of time, you know? So it just, the, the contrast of him, like being excited, giddy, you know, happy to be here, happy to be on the former Stanley cup champion, happy to be in the playoff push, you know, happy to be on a team that's a buyer and not a seller and happy to try and provide some of his skill. It, you know, it, it just was nice to see that and, jarring to see that in the in the locker room post game and like you said matt nieto had a bit of a a quick turnaround too although he was traded the night before um and got in kind of early he was there prior to morning or prior to um you know media sessions i saw him walk through the locker room to the coaches area but familiar face right familiar with the organization familiar with jared bednar to a degree familiar with a handful of guys in the locker room same with jack johnson Traded the night before, comes in the next day. He's there for morning skate, already has a number, you know, familiar face, familiar with the organization. So this is, uh, you know, the first time in a little bit that a guy is traded for uh, with no familiarity. And it's a thrust right into the game. And unfortunately for him, I'm not sure his first shift went the way he wanted it to. No, <laughs> the uh, New Jersey Devil scored on that first shift. I actually think it was a broken play that also involved involved Jack Johnson, who was playing in his second game back with the team that he rejoined after playing for previously, like you had mentioned. So not a good start, obviously. He did end the night minus one, but 
I don't think he cares. I don't think he's too concerned. I don't think the Avalanche are concerned. It was it was a very quick turnaround. And my goodness, the amount of this is all we got after that goal was just a little wild because I'm just like the guy literally just flew in. I think Lars Eller is going to be a great fit. I really do. But um, just the fact that he played yesterday, I mean, you got to hand it to these to these guys. I mean, you're seeing it all around the league. Ryan O'Reilly, when he was traded to the to the Toronto Maple Leafs, him and Nolachari made it an, made an effort to go in and be there right away and play. Jacob Chikrin is playing right now for the Ottawa Senators. I don't even know you can get your visa figured out that quickly going from an American team to a Canadian team. Uh, and we've seen a ton of debuts already. Matthias Ekholm's already played for the Edmonton Oilers. These guys just want to get in. They want to get ingrained with their new team. And Lars Eller, like you said, the first guy since, you know, Dennis Smalgan, who was more of an, an AHL depth tweener guy. Granted, he's playing a lot of hockey right now in terms of dressing, but... Uh, between him, Nieto, and Jack Johnson, this is the first guy who's literally a new person to the Avalanche. I asked him yesterday had if he had ever played with any of these guys, and he said no, like nothing, like never skated with anybody in this locker room, never played with anybody in this room, doesn't know anybody in this room really on a personal level. He did mention, you know, how Grubauer and Burakovsky were both traded here, and none of them are here anymore because obviously they all won the Stanley Cup together with Washington. Lars Eller actually scored the game-winning, the cup-clinching goal with the Capitals in 2018 when they had Gruby and Berkey. So um, just a wild turn of events, but uh, let's chat a little bit about what he brings to this team. Uh, Starting from the top is the fact that at morning skate, I was not there, but I know you were there and Jared went out of his way to refer to him as a third line center. And then I asked Lars yesterday really quickly where he thought he fit. And he said exactly where they played me today, centering the third line. Like they could not be more clear that Lars Eller is here to be your new 3C. You know, the saying shit rolls downhill, right? Usually it's not a pleasant saying, but I like to kind of tweak it a little bit for the NHL, for the Avs in particular, and say talent rolls downhill in a perfect world. And what you want is to get your, you know, Coglianos, Coglianos and O'Connors down the lineup if you can. And you slowly want to start, you know, getting pieces back into the lineup that are higher up than where guys are now or adding pieces to, to fill these gaps. So you can slide the guys who have been playing maybe a little above their depth back down the lineup. And so when you bring in a guy like Eller, who is in agreement with the coach, third line guy, right? He's going to center this third line right now. That's looking like a Cogliano O'Connor, man, it's really hard to say those two names back to back, Yeah, but you know, as, as pieces get healthy, as guys come back, you can slide guys down the lineup. And that's, you know, the nice thing about this is he, he comes in, he can stabilize a third line. He can play those situations. You can move pieces up and down around him, but you've got this dependable situation. It doesn't answer the, the two C question completely, but now you have the ability to, you know, flex JT Comfort as needed, right? You have the ability to, to move new hook from wing to center and back to wing as needed. And you've got this piece down here who can anchor the bottom six, sort of that Darren Helm-esque role, but, you know, a couple of years earlier, a couple steps quicker. Yeah. I thought we were going to see a line of Cogliano, Rodriguez, O'Connor, and then another line of Nieto, Eller, and Malgin. And the reason why I, I, you know, in my mind, I kind of wanted to see that, not that that's what makes sense, but I kind of wanted to use that to get the point across that several months ago, the Avalanche literally couldn't play their fourth line. 
whether it was Dryden Hunt and Anton Bleed or Lucas Sedlak or Martin Cowder, or insert any of the AHL pickups that that uh, AHL call-ups. They never trusted their fourth line. And Jared would literally, in his post-gamers when the Avalanche were struggling, would go out of his way when asked about his top guys being overplayed, would literally go out of his way and say, I have eight players I can trust or nine players I can trust. Not exactly in those words, but he would say, I, I don't have a deep team. Like he was very straightforward about these guys are playing two, three minutes because quite frankly, they shouldn't even be in the lineup with the additions of Malgin, Nieto and Eller. The avalanche literally reacquired forwards 10, 11 and 12. And not that that's where they slot in, but 10, 11 and 12 of players they can trust. Malgin ideally isn't even number 12, but Hey, he's better than what they were playing before. He's given you more than what, what you were getting before. And now you have in your lineup somewhere, you know, if, and it's a big, if Gabe Landeskog comes back, that would push Dennis Malgin out. But on top of that, the Avalanche are likely going to make another move here. We're recording this. It's Thursday. It's 5 o'clock p.m. So the de trade deadline's in 20 hours. By the time you're listening to this, they may have already made another move. The expectation is the Avalanche are going to get another forward, probably a scoring winger if they can't get that second-line center, which at this point I don't think they are. I think they're going to roll with JT. If Landeskog comes back, if you have one more forward, that's going to push both Dennis Malgin and Matt Nieto out of the lineup. Now you have that depth that you've been looking for. That doesn't include the fact that Ben Myers is already on the outside looking in and you're you know, hoping he can kind of build his game up to a level where you want him to play. But like you said, players get healthy, players get pushed down. If your second line is going to be Landeskog and Rantanen in with JT, that gives Newhook, Rodriguez, and Eller the opportunity to be a third line. Nieto, Cagliano, O'Connor, blah, 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 insert any of the other names here as the opportunity to be a fourth line. So... Really a lot of maneuvering. You know, you're obviously going to acquire another forward at some point, bring new hook out of the top six, even without a healthy Landeskog. Uh, it really stabilizes a lot because what it does is exactly what Matt Nieto did. It puts people in their proper positions, proper places. Now you have Eller and Nieto both playing in your top top nine yesterday. That's not something you had in November, December. Yeah, no disrespect to guys like Ben Myers. He's just not quite there yet, right? And you go out and you add Matt Nieto. He's an NHL player. You add Lars Eller. He's an NHL player. You add Malgan. He's an NHL player. He's a tweener. He's been doing good work, I think, for the Avalanche, right? But he's that Dryden Hunt replacement, and it's a guy that's going to fall down to the lineup to his proper spot. You know, they the Avs plug some leaks with some guys who did what they could. But like you said, yeah, in a perfect world, we've got the O'Connors and Caglianos on the fourth line. We've got, you know, Landis Gog on the second line. You've got JT Comfer, second, third line. You've got Alex Newhook, you know, second, third line. That's what we want to see. I mean, the Avs are being tied to James Van Riemsdyk a little bit right now. So we'll see. That'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on, you know. It, it's kind of funny. They've gone all this full circle to get to needing a scoring winger. And you're like, yeah, I know. Everybody knows Patrick Kane wanted to go to the Rangers, but you, you could have figured this out a little bit sooner and at least tried. Maybe they did. Well, we won't know, you know, until after the deadline. But the, the lineup's coming together and saying that, you know, going into this last week of games, there were some questions. There were some questions about a team like Vegas coming in. How are they going to show against the Avalanche? How are the Avalanche going to hold up? And the Avalanche really slapped them in the mouth, right? 
And then the Devils are in town. You've got a new addition. This this lineup is coming into picture here for the the stretch run in the playoffs. And New Jersey slaps the Avalanche in the mouth real hard. I think you know. So you can see that things are still a work in progress just here in Denver. And as Eller becomes for, more familiar with his role with his line mates, you know, as the line stabilize and as ice time stabilizes. I think things will get better. You know, this team's missing Kill McCarr. That helps a lot on the back end when he's in. Jack Johnson played 19 minutes in his team re-debut and looked pretty good, right? But in a perfect world, Jack Johnson's not playing 19 minutes of hockey. Yeah, no, absolutely not. In a perfect world, uh, you know, with with the fact that Kale McCarr is inching closer and Eric Johnson's still a ways away, in a perfect world, Jack Johnson's your number six defenseman. Uh, we still haven't since November 4th seen the Avalanche have all five of their horses, as Jared likes to refer to them, on the blue line playing in the same game. That's Taves, that's Makar, that's Manson, that's Byram, that's Gerard. We haven't had that since. And even back in November, um, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a Sam Gerard that's playing a hell. I granted he was a minus three against New Jersey, didn't have the best game, but a lot of people didn't. He's playing a hell of a lot better hockey than he was in the beginning of the season. I'd argue better than he was at any point in the regular season last year or the playoffs because he only played like six games. Um, Sam Gerrard's being is playing a little bit better. Bowen Byram obviously has elevated his game late here in, in, in the regular season, just like he did a year ago when he came back from his concussions and, and kind of got his feet wet and feet under him a little bit. Uh, Taves was brutal against the Devils, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know he's Devon Taves. You can always trust him. Kel McCarr is Kel McCarr. And uh, Josh Menson is healthy, and he's been a he's been a positive impact most nights, which is what you want from Josh because he is a kind of hot and cold player sometimes. Since he returned, and especially in that first game back against Minnesota, he was he was so much fun. So this will be the first time they have all their horses, assuming nobody's hurt before Kel McCarr returns, which could be Saturday. So we'll see. I'm sure the Avalanche will practice Friday. We'll get a better idea of what's going on with Kale. Um, what I love about Lars Eller is. Look, for starters, is it looking more like the Avalanche aren't going to trade for a 2C? Probably. And that's fine. It's it's okay. They have a lot of weapons on this team. Are they as deep as they were last year? No. But does it, does it mean they can't win the Stanley Cup again? Still no. They still could. They went 16-4 and four last year. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they go 16-9 and nine this year. Maybe it's a little bit tougher. Maybe they got to win a Game 7. Maybe they got to trail 3-2 to two in a series. All the things they didn't do a year ago. Um, but also, when you look at the Avalanche lineup, you also have a Miko Rantanen who last year scored five goals in the playoffs, and I think two of them were empty netters. You're going to get some big goals from Miko in the postseason this year that you weren't last year. So there will be some things made up here and there to replace what you had in Kadri and how effective he was or Burakovsky in the Stanley Cup final and things like that. But to get back to Lars Eller, what I love about this addition, 2C aside and the fact that it probably means JT's your 2C, putting that aside because I think – I think people are connecting that with Lars Eller, and that's why they dislike the acquisition. Lars Eller is made for playoff hockey. He is a gamer in the playoffs. He has proven time and time again that he elevates his game in the postseason. And the number one concern that I have seen outside of the 2C thing is, has Eller run out of gas? And it's a very reasonable expect, you know, concern and, and question to have. Is Eller the same player he was? Well, Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe he has run out of gas and he's not effective. 
But what we saw from a veteran last year in Darren Helm or a veteran in Andrew Cogliano, who in the regular season were not that effective and in the playoffs ramped it up because they've been there. They know what it takes. They know what it means to make it far. Not that Cogliano's won a cup, but he's been in the playoffs, had some nice long runs with Anaheim, for example. You expect Lars Eller, who scores at a half a going point per game pace in the playoffs, which is way better than he ever does in the regular season, also has that same sense of knowing when to ramp it up, knowing that when the playoffs are around, 33 years old, bad regular season aside, we're taking this to the next level. We're going to be the Lars Eller that the Avalanche know they acquired. Yeah, and it's, I mean, he's 33 years old. It's okay for a guy to age down the lineup, you know? There's still talent there. There's still skill there. But maybe you're not as fast as you were. Maybe your hands aren't as fast as they were, right? We've seen it. We've seen... You've seen, I mean, just Jerome McGinley from the Bruins to the his the end of his tenure with the Avalanche were you know two different players. Let alone the prime of his career. You're looking at Lars Eller. I mean, this is a guy for I don't know, the last five six years was shooting between eight percent and eleven. He was shooting six point nine percent this year, so down having a down year with a down year Washington Capitals team, and like you said point per game player who can elevate himself in the playoffs. He's going to play fewer minutes than before and be totally reliable back there. And that's what the avalanche are looking for, you know, stability in the lines like we talked about. And that I think is one of the most important parts of it. Like this is a guy in 27, 18, he had seven goals and 11 assists and 24 playoff games. He 18 points. 13%, 13.46% and winning 50% of his faceoffs. Like that's responsible in all areas. Incredible. 18 points. Like that's really close to what Nazem Kadri gave you last year. Like he was that effect. Not that he's going to face Kadri, but like he was almost as effective to the Capitals as Kadri was to the Avalanche last year. And we all know what Kadri meant to this team. And the funny thing is like about a player that it is okay for himself, for him to age down the lineup. If he's going to be your three C, that's literally the position he played for the Capitals. He played with Brent Connolly and coincidentally Andre Burakovsky on the left wing. That was the line that won the Capitals the Stanley Cup. Andre Burakovsky has scored some big goals in his career. Uh, coincidentally, also against Tampa Bay's Andre Vasilevsky in the in the 2018 playoffs, and he did it on the third line. Last year in the Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay, Burakovsky scored a big goal on the third line. In 2018, Lars Eller scored a big goal on the third line to clinch the cup. It's 2023. The Avalanche are bringing him in to be that third line center, to be that piece. Guys like Connolly and Burakovsky are not, you know, entirely defensive minded players. Lars Eller is a defensive minded center, or let's say a two way forward. He knows how to play the 200 foot game, but they stuck him with talent. So if he can play with Burakovsky and be effective, I'm sure he can probably play with a left winger and Alex Newhook. I'm sure if you put Evan Rodriguez or Matt, Matt Nieto or someone like that on his right wing, hell, even James Van Riemsdyk, he'll make that work as well. It's it's just such a savvy, smart, underrated move by Chris McFarlane and the Avalanche's staff. Again, it could go to hell. He could have been, you know, his prime could be well past him. He could not be effective at all. But it's such a savvy, smart move to go under the radar, pick up a guy that not many people are talking about, and have him be another puzzle piece because you can go out and trade for the sexy name. And sometimes the sexy name makes sense. We talked about Ryan O'Reilly uh, last year. All the talk was about Claude Giroux. He wanted to go to Florida. He went to Florida. The Asbot in Lekkanen, he scored the cup clinching goal. Uh, very similar case this year. Patrick Kane, like you said, you know, maybe the avalanche would have went for him. It didn't really happen. 
but you got a guy in Lars Eller that you can look back on in months and say, now I get why this team brought in this player. And even just, you know, outside of analytics and those kinds of things, we heard Jared Bednar talk about why the team made the decision to bring back Jack Johnson, you know, and somebody said, well, what about his low underlying numbers? And Jared Bednar said he had low numbers the first time we brought him in too, and he was fine. You know, like there there are expectations for players that don't translate into statistics as well. You know, and one of those things he said about Jack Johnson is we trade, you know, a player on the cusp, Andreas England. He's not young, but, you know, he is serviceable, but he wasn't really good at moving the puck. And any, we knew the day that they hired Jared Bednar that the focus of this team was going to be a five man unit offensively and defensively that could move the puck out of their zone, be quick on the transition and hard on the forecheck. And that's what they're looking for. Right? So you bring in a guy like Jack Johnson, he may not be the fleetest of foot player on the team. Uh, You know, he may not be the most responsible player on the team, but he is a defensive defenseman who can get the puck out of the zone. And that's what you want. So you look at a guy like Lars Eller Maybe things on the score sheet don't jump off at you as a fan, right? But that doesn't mean that he isn't being tasked with things that he is also good at doing. And, I mean, he elevates his line. And when you add players who can do what he has done throughout the lineup, that makes matchups hard for other teams, right? That I've said for years that you don't want McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landis Gog on the same line. You know, it's fine here or there but that makes it puts all your eggs in one basket and it's easy then to defend against, you know, you put your best guys out of, against the best guys. But as those games, the game within the game, the matchups are happening when you're adding guys like Eller to the lineup further down the lineup and elevating a line's ability across the board right now, teams have to game plan for that. They have to play defense against that. And that's how this works. And you talk about maybe the avalanche don't get through the Stanley cup final as easily as last year we still are seeing them dominate the West, right? We're still seeing the West gearing up some, but not not like we are seeing the East. So this is still, I mean, there's still a potential for the Avalanche to almost walk through what is on their side of the, the NHL. And the real concern then becomes how do you match up against the East? But that's down the road. You know, that's many games, many injuries, many upsets away from where we're at right now. I'm going to throw two things at you that were said by other people and I'll uh, give them both credit for it. Number one, Jeff Merrick recently mentioned on his show that he has a theory that he heard from someone, which obviously they can't confirm, but he has a theory that no team in the Western conference is going as all in on this trade deadline. Like you're seeing in the East because they're looking at the Colorado Avalanche. They're looking at what they're doing. A lot of the teams they're beating are these Western teams, the Vegas, the Winnipeg, the Calgary's, and they're doing it pretty handily. Edmonton, 3 nothing lead. No worries. We're going to beat you in overtime. And they're looking at the Avalanche and saying, we can't blow our entire load of prospects and picks because that team is still the Avalanche. It's funny you brought that up because I spent, I feel like, a significant part of my day yesterday talking to and arguing with Jesse Montano of DMVR about the Edmonton Oilers specifically and them, you know, losing Tyson Berry, which I think was a key part of their offense, you know, obviously was playing on the power play, helped them get to where they're at. I, I feel bad for Tyson going to Nashville and they bring in Matthias at home and you, you look at that and it's not flashy, 
right? And you wonder, is that enough for this team? And my argument was this team isn't in their window the way the Avalanche are. And Jesse's argument was, you know, this is as much a window as they're going to get with Connor McDavid at this point in his career with, you know, free agency coming sooner than later, you know, those kinds of things. But it's it's to the point that you you said and Jeff Merrick made, which is looking at we can't sell the farm to try and compete against the avalanche when we know we're not going to be able to do it. And that's how I view a team like Edmonton, right? You want to make the right moves for your team. You want to go as, as deep as you can in the playoffs. Maybe you get in and you surprise everybody. You get an upset, right? You're the Columbus blue jackets against the Tampa Bay lightning. You win a major upset in four games unlikely but it's possible right you get in and you can do some damage but the other thing is you get in and you sell tickets and you get fans in the door and you keep the operation going so you can add the pieces one by one to get where you need to go and that's where i feel some teams are going right the other side of that is the vegas golden knights and they just are all in every year and at some point you imagine that's going to catch up with them but even then you know, like I said, you expected Vegas to come in and have a real good game against the Avalanche. They got shut out three nothing. I wouldn't say they played particularly well while the Avalanche played about as as good as they have all season. Yeah, and that was an Avalanche team that Jared Bednar said the healthiest we've been all year. When I asked him, "Is this is the best stretch of hockey they've played?" and the funny thing is. Gabe Landeskog hasn't played a game all season. Kale McCart wasn't even in the lineup. The guy that won the North, like the, not the Norris, not, well, yeah, he won the Norris, but the Conn Smythe, like that yeah. guy wasn't in the lineup. Um, the, 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 I kind of agree with both of you on Edmonton. Yes. I don't think that this is, they're, they're not as close as they want to pretend they are, but at the same time, I don't know if this is agreeing with Jesse, but I get Jesse's point in the sense where if you're Ken Holland, you cannot look at Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and say, we're not going to go on all in this year. Right. Yeah. You have it's to do not something. not the same like all in. Exactly. You know? And you're, yeah. you're not, you're just not in a position to be able to accomplish that. Like yeah. last year, the avalanche were all in. You saw it. It worked. You yeah. know, even this year, the avalanche going all in is a very different look than it was yeah. last year. And I felt like, Chris McFarland addressing the media early before the end of trade deadline was expectation setting in the sense that, you know, coming out and saying we're good with JT Comfort at our second line center. If that's what happens, right. We're good with this roster as is, if that, what ha- if that's what happens, they go out and get Lars Eller. It's not this big flashy trade that everybody wants, you know, right. They don't, they don't go out and get a big flashy name goalie. They get Keith Kincaid. They don't get a big flashy defenseman. They get Jack Johnson, right. They're adding the pieces to support the pieces that they know the avalanche already have and saying like, this is, this is probably it, you know, unless something falls into our lap, this is it. And so you look at our Lars Eller as maybe it's underwhelming to some, but you know, it's, it's all about the, the whole group, the holistic view of it. Yeah. So here's here's a way that I I like to look at the deadline, and this will maybe help a little bit, a, a couple of people, a few fans, listeners, whoever off the ledge a little bit. It's the idea that if you at the trade deadline need to go out and trade for, and you know, not that I'm taking jabs at this team, they had the cap space, you had the room, you do it. But if you're going out at the trade deadline and trading for Vlad Tarasenko, trading for Patrick Kane, it's because you don't have that star power in your lineup already. I understand you lost Nazem Kadri. I understand you lost Andre Burakovsky, but the Avalanche were very talented last year. 
take out Burakovsky, take out Kadri, they are still very talented. Have the question mark of Gabe Landeskog might not play. Surprise, surprise. It will be hard, but you can still win the Stanley Cup with a Nichushkin, Lekkinen, McKinnon, Rantanen, JT Comfer. Insert player X here as your sixth forward, new hook. You know, Rodriguez, Cagliano, Nieto, Lars Eller, uh, Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, Bowen Byram and Josh Manson, Sam Gerrard on your third pair, Jack Johnson, maybe Eric Johnson, Georgiev playing as well as he is, a backup in Frankie if he's healthy, who proved last year he can step in when needed, even without Kadri, even without Alandiskog, which ideally you want Gabe to play. But even without those guys, this team is still very talented and has those big pieces where, yeah, it would have been nice to get Ryan O'Reilly, and I'm 100% on board. I think that fit would have been perfect. But you have the talent already. If you're just plugging and playing, it's because you look at the season, you look at what happened early in the year, and it goes back to what I said earlier. The Avalanche just didn't have the depth. They didn't have the bodies. So instead of adding the quality, they chose to add the quantity because they lost quantity. They lost Nico Sturm. They lost Nicholas Abe Kubel. You know, obviously Gabe Landeskog is still a body you have to replace. Kadri is still a body after a place. When you bump up Comfer and then you bump up O'Connor to the third line, well, now you got to replace someone on the fourth line. Anton Bleed wasn't cutting it. Lucas Sedlik wasn't cutting it. By the adding Jack Johnson and by adding Lars Eller, they've doubled down on the quantity. If they go out and trade for someone like James Van Riemsdyk or players of that ilk, they're doubling down on the quantity. We have the quality. Let's just surround them with quantity to cover our asses when injuries arise. And we're going to go for another cup. And that's that's just the big thing. So that's what Jeff Merrick said. Peter Boss said something on the podcast I did with him uh, several days ago, I think on Sunday or Monday, where he said he has this idea. And I kind of agree with it. He says there are teams in the Western Conference that can beat the Avalanche in the playoffs. The Vegas Golden Knights, they've done it before. They could do it again. The uh, Winnipeg Jets, I know the Avalanche scored four goals on five shots on him, but the Winnipeg Jets could ride a hot Connor Hellebuck and beat them. Yeah, the, same, with, same with the Dallas Stars and Jake Ottinger. Like Jake Ottinger almost single-handedly beat, who was it, Calgary, I think, last year? Uh, he almost single-handedly beat them in the first round, and that was a really strong Calgary team. So there are teams in the Western Conference that can beat the Avalanche, but when you get to the Stanley Cup final, Peter said... I don't think any team in the West can beat those Eastern juggernauts, but the Colorado Avalanche. And, and that's I, a yeah. very good way to put it. I don't disagree there. It's been an arms race in the East, right? And you, you have to keep in mind that only one team comes out of the East at the end of the day. Yeah. Who's that team going to be? My bet is on Boston after looking at everything <laughs> they've done. You know, they're just a juggernaut like the Avalanche were last year. But the I don't I don't know. There's so much doom and gloom. It feels like there were the expectations of last season, um, and then the way that the team performed, especially down the stretch where they were just you know unbelievably good. I think has has soured people on understanding that you know you're not going to win every game, and you can still be you know extremely talented team and lose a game here or there. Right? We heard Jared Bednar say last night like. Was the game out of Eustace Ananen great and ideal? No, it was not. But neither was it for Vanacek on the other side. And yeah. Bednar looked at the schedule and said, this is the best chance we can give Georgiev to get some rest. And it's against an Eastern Conference team. This game doesn't matter in the playoff hunt for the Avalanche outside of two points. But, you know, they're not they're not games against division rivals or Western conference teams. And you can afford to, to lose a gamer here, there, you know, I feel like 
a month and a half ago, we were talking about the avalanche on the outside, looking in at the playoffs. We were talking about how the avalanche and the Florida Panthers for the first time ever were not in the playoff picture at the halfway point of the season, you know, the president's trophy winner and the Stanley cup winner. And here we are now looking at the avalanche, you know, storming up the standings into almost first they're close, you know, they're working their way up and they go and they have three back-to-back sets of games and they go five Oh and one for 11 out of 12 points that shouldn't be done in the NHL in this, this day and age, right? It shouldn't be possible for a team to play in particular, where the second game of all three of those sets had a rested team that involved travel. So it's, it's like this team is in a good spot and they're adding pieces to get better. You know, there's not a lot of worry. I don't think about what's, what the West looks like, you know, it's the East that I think is the real concern. It's a team like New Jersey who is very talented. The way that they blew that game wide open at the start, you know, the way that they responded in kind to the avalanche in the second period, like we had New Jersey scored three goals in the first period and the avalanche had one. So we get four goals in the first period. We got six goals in the second period. You know, that game was wide open, fire wagon, everybody scoring. The Av scored three goals in two minutes, four seconds, right? New Jersey comes out, the avalanche score, they score, and then they just shut it down. Like, those are the kind of things I'm looking at. Do you think any team in the West can beat the avalanche in a best of seven series right now, today, at this point? I I. I don't really don't. feel like I, it. Yeah. I don't see anybody there. Yeah, it, I mean, if it's like it's a perfect storm. Things can happen. Hellebuck can get hot. You know, Georgiev could go cold. But I just I don't know that the talent matches in in that in a prolonged series like that. You know, yeah. and it's it's possible injuries play a factor. But at this point today, you know, the Avalanche I still think are far and away the best team in the West. In 2017-18, the Washington Capitals, after losing in 2017 to the Pittsburgh Penguins again, uh, had an off-season of change. And I want to read to you, and again, 2017-18, that's the season the Caps won the Cup. I want to read to you the Hockey News' season preview. This is how their article started. Alex Ovechkin can still score. Nicholas Backstrom looks as dangerous as ever. As ever, and Evgeny Kuznetsov could still be that could be the team's best player this year. While best skater anyway, Braden Holby is still an all-world goalie and could very well snatch another Vezina Trophy like he did last year. When you look at their key additions and their key departures, we'll start with the additions. They added a right winger, Devonte Smith Pelly. Key departures: Marcus Johansson, who that season had 24 goals and 58 points. Kevin Shattenkirk, who that season was a trade deadline acquisition and had 56 points. Justin Williams, the right winger, Mr. Game 7, who had 48 points, 24 goals that season. And a couple of defensemen in Carl Alsner and Nate Schmidt, not known for their offensive prowess, but big parts of the team. So they lost Nate Schmidt, Carl Alsner, and Kevin Shattenkirk off the blue line, a strong winger in in Justin Williams, and a strong center in Marcus Johansson. And despite all of that, All you want to talk about in this preview is Ovechkin still Ovechkin, Backstrom is still Backstrom, Kuznetsov still Kuznetsov, and you got a goalie. That's how you got to look at the Avalanche this year. That's how you got to look at them compared to last year because all they did was add, before the trade deadline and before Jack Johnson and all that, all they did was add 
Evan Rodriguez, and they lost to Kadri. They lost to Burakovsky. They lost some depth guys. They lost their starting goalie, replaced them with another goalie. They lost, lost, lost. But at the top of the lineup, Nathan McKinnon, Kel McCarr, Miko Rand are still raising their hands like, we got this. We can still do this. And that's just the reality of it. Like in 2021, when Vegas beat the Avalanche, it was upsetting. It was disappointing for the Avalanche. But that was a Vegas team where when you looked at it, it made sense. Right now, it doesn't look like, like you said, many teams in the East, in the West, it doesn't look like many make sense that could beat the Avalanche. And the big additions at the deadline haven't changed that. Like Max Domi is on his way to the Dallas Stars. Uh, Vegas added John Quick in goal. And I forget which forward Vegas also added. Um, Barbashev. Barbashev, thank you. Uh, Minnesota added Gus Nyquist and I think Marcus Johansson, coincidentally, who we're talking about. Like, no one has made that big, big move. Lars Eller is just kind of another same level move. Max Domi, I think, has the most points of all of the guys that moved in the Western Conference. So, obviously, Matisse Ekholm is probably the most prominent name, and he's a defenseman. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly agree. I just don't think the Avalanche need to go out and make the big name acquisition because they don't need it as much as other teams does do when you look at deficiencies right what's the biggest deficiency for the avalanche like what is their biggest weakness in matching up against another team is depth that's it it's yeah. just depth and when you look at edmonton it's goaltending and it's defense and yeah. it's depth and when you look at dallas it's goal scoring and consistency I think Max Domi makes that team significantly better, but we'll see how it does, right? When you look at Vegas, they haven't had a healthy goalie all season. They started the year losing their starting goalie for the season, right? They add Jonathan Quick. He hasn't been having a great year in LA. 78 save percentage. Goaltending was a big question mark. I mean, goaltending was such a big question mark for LA. They traded Jonathan Quick for Corpus Now I would say that goaltending is not the issue in LA to a degree right but their depth and their inexperience on you know on the whole from the kings i think is an issue vegas like i said the goaltending we saw them get blanked the other night you know they have the talent in the lineup but you need the guys to score their captains out for the season he may never play again he's going to have you know his second back surgery in as many years i mean who else who else is even close winnipeg i mean they got shelled the other night their goaltending is not a question for them, you know, but consistency is, I think, and goal scoring yep. consistency is. And I mean, that's pretty much it for the West. And for like, the yeah. Avalanche, it's literally just depth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, we've looked at Calgary. Calgary goaltending has been terrible. Calgary, terrible yeah. Goaltending has been terrible, and they just need an offseason to breathe <laughs> a, a little bit after all the changes last year. I think they'll come back better next year, but that's for a next year story. That's not a thing that's going to bother the Avalanche this year or be a threat this year. When you look at the Avalanche, their top stars are better than the other top stars in the Western Conference, and they have more of them. Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the Western Conference. Nathan McKinnon is not the best forward because someone named Connor McDavid is, but he's up there. Miko Rantanen, I think, has the most goals behind Connor McDavid in the Western Conference. He uh, has the most share of goals for his team, too, yeah, ahead of go. Connor McDavid. Yep, that's correct. He uh, Devon Taves is the most underrated number two, should be a number one on 25 other teams, probably, defenseman. 
uh, Bowen Byram, you know, behind Rasmus Dahlin and probably like on the same level as Morvitz Sider is one of the next best upcoming young defensemen in the league, you know, in that echelon below the other young defensemen like Kale McCarn, Miro Heiskinen and Quinn Hughes and guys like that, Adam Fox, etc. Um, you got depth up and down your lineup, your veterans like Andrew Cogliano's having a great year. Alex Newhook is, yeah, sure, he hasn't taken that next step, but he's a good depth guy. Like everybody's playing their role to a T. The issues with this season have been injuries, and because of the injuries, and even before the injuries, to be honest with you, depth. They're addressing the depth. Matt Nieto's got three goals with the Avalanche in I think 11 games. That's a 12-ish, 15-ish goal pace over a full season. Dennis Malgin's got three goals in his last eight or nine games. Again, 12-ish, 15-ish goals over a full season. That's what Andrew Cogliano's on pace for. That's what you need from your depth guys. Darren Helm hasn't played all year, and they found a way to replace that too. So when you look at the Avalanche's underwhelming moves, it's because going into the season, nobody in the Western Conference could match up with this team on paper. And still right now, nobody in the Western Conference could match up with this team on paper or with what we're seeing on the ice. The Avs are 14-3-2 and in their last 19 after that loss to New Jersey. Um, and nobody's playing as good as them. They've beaten all the best teams in the West. The only one they haven't played yet is Dallas, who they have Saturday. And that in itself could be another statement game. Yeah, it's big. The wild cards for me, the teams that I don't know, Seattle and Minnesota. Minnesota is just this conundrum of a team where, you know, goaltending could be okay. And then the Avs have that game they had up there where everything was going through flurry and you're just like, what the hell is going on? And then they have games where they're just scoring at an unreal clip, you know, where you, they lose Kevin Fiala is a big loss for them, but Kaprizov is a game breaker type of player. I don't really feel like they've got the defense though, to match up with the Avs in Seattle I just don't know. Like the goaltending has been up and down all year and the rest of it, it's just, you know, can this second year team hold it together and do damage? It's really hard to say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the Minnesota Wild, the, their on-ice play kind of mirrors what they're doing as a <laughs> as a team at the deadline because they are both uh, using their cap space to their advantage to build assets but they're also buying in the form of Nyquist and Johan it's just such a strange team I guess Philip Gustafson's been playing good in goal and that's kind of changed a lot for them uh just a whole lot of changes it's really strange but I I don't see again their wild card but I don't think they're a wild card in the sense of like yeah this team could really beat the shit out of the avalanche I just yeah they're not you just don't there. really know what's going to happen. Yeah. I feel that way with Dallas. You know, you mentioned Ottinger. I do think he's the real deal in net. 100%. Yeah. I think he has the ability to blow some games wide open. And so does Jason Robertson, right? And all of a sudden, you've got Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan playing like they're five years younger. Yeah. And you add Max Domi to the mix, and you're like, okay, this team is interesting, you know, and it's a Pete DeBoer led team. That's a guy who knows how to beat the avalanche in the playoffs. That's another thing you don't necessarily take into account. And then the rest of the West is just crazy. Like, I mean, Nashville's got three games in hand on Winnipeg and they're eight points behind them for the wild second wild card. And you don't know, like, could they make it in? I don't know that it benefits the organization to do (laughs) that, but you know, it's possible. Calgary's kind of free falling their way out of it. They Nash- could still squeak in. 
Nashville mm-hmm. has sold to Grandland and Eckholm, and they're up to nothing on the Florida Panthers right now. Just wild. Yeah, and they added Calfoot and Tyson Berry. And... That's that's right. Yeah, so they didn't really sell all the way. Yeah, it's it's weird. And Calgary, Calgary is the team I thought last year would have given the Avalanche the most trouble. Dallas potentially, right? But watching that that what was it game seven overtime with Edmonton and Calgary and Edmonton wins. And I was like, wow, the Western conference final is going to be a cakewalk for the avalanche, you know, like, yeah. And Calgary has not recovered. So, I mean, the West is when people say it's wide open, it it really is. Yeah. LA is in second place in the Pacific and they have a zero goal differential. They're the only team in the playoffs with the zero goal differential at this moment in time. The massive decline of the St. Louis Blues a year after they were the biggest threat to the Avalanche in the Western Conference through the Stanley Cup f- playoffs last year um, says all you need to know about the Western Conference right now. So absolutely, yeah. I the the only and I will we'll end it here. The only issue I have with everybody saying the Western Conference sucks and the Eastern Conference has all these juggernauts is I think it needs to be altered to the Western Conference sucks outside of the defending Stanley Cup champs who for some reason people are not realizing are 14-3 and 2 in their last 19 and playing the best hockey that they've played since last June. I will say this though, the Avs are wild card one in the East right now. Yeah, you know, based on and, the standings. Yep. That's how that's, crazy the East is. I mean, Boston has a plus 97 goal differential. Boston is Something about Boston and how good their season is going just like screams weird upset <laughs> because it's the NHL and that's what happens. But uh, not that I'm taking anything away from them, but when you look at the standings and you look at the fact that the Eastern Conference has, like you said, one, two, three, four, five, the six best teams in terms of points percentage, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 all belong to the Western Conference. So you have the top six, then the next eight all being the West. Well, you know, aside from Dallas and Vegas, well, specifically Vegas, because they're seven, one, and two in their last 10, the one loss being the loss of the Avalanche, the shutout. Aside from Dallas and Vegas having a better points percentage than the Avalanche, the Rangers, the Lightning, the Maple Leafs, and despite the loss, even the Devils are still kind of within reach, but mostly Toronto, Tampa Bay, and the Rangers. So Colorado, even Vegas, can catch three or four of these Eastern Conference teams, and suddenly the top five is three Eastern teams and two Western teams. It's still very, very up for grabs, but obviously right now the East has the juggernauts, the West has the floaters because even the floaters like nashville nashville's a much better team in the eastern conference than they are in the west even calgary uh calgary and nashville both have a better points percentage than the islanders and then the Sens, and then the red wings and the islanders the Sens, and the red wings all have a better chance of making the playoffs right now than nashville or calgary do so the west is just a little bit more balanced the east has the juggernauts but i still think there is one in the west it's obviously the team we cover yep i agree Cool. Well, I think that's my closing thoughts. Any closing thoughts from you, good sir? We'll see what the uh, the rest of the trade deadline brings. It has just been unbelievably crazy. It's in, wild. in the NHL this year, and you know, to go back to the East versus West, a lot of just a massive exodus of 
talent from the west to the east, which is also <laughs> something that works in the Avalanche's favor. Yeah, even even like the non-playoff teams, Ottawa as a non-playoff team grabbing Jake Chikrin, uh, Jacob Chikrin, the Islanders as I, I say non-playoff team loosely grabbing Bo Horvat from Vancouver. Like it seems like everything has been east or sorry west to east except for Lars Eller. <laughs> like that's basically it. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to end this show the way JJ usually does. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Thank you, Ryan, again for joining me. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.